day, as I said, it is an honor to have with us the gift of Andre Fancil from South Africa. He's because of a mandate upon his life has been brought here to be a missionary to America, bring a spiritual awakening in America. I know that's his heart and his passion and you know, a lot of people say they're called to something, but you know how they're called is by the fruit that they're bearing. His ministry is marked by sparks of revival that are happening all over America, and God has imparted a great vision to him. I'm uh, not going to stand here today. As you know, most of the time I bring people that I'm in covenant with, relationship with, but uh, an awesome friend of mine uh, talked to me about Apostle Andre, and I began to pray about it, and I felt like that the Lord would have us bring him here, so I'm not going to put on any show and tell you I know him or act like we're, you know, best friends, because I don't. We've talked maybe 20 minutes together, but I know, how many know when your spirit bears witness, right? And so would you help me welcome him today as he comes this morning? Praise the Lord. How many of you are just excited about today? This is the last time that you will have an opportunity on this earth to enjoy this very service, this very day, 2014. Tell somebody, enjoy the last time you will have this service. I don't say this is your last service. It's just, it's just the last Sunday morning service you will have in 2014 on this very day you will never have this opportunity again may the lord bless you it's a great honor for me to be here uh pastor kent miller a dear friend of mine uh, was the connection between us and it's a great honor for me to be here i am from south africa and uh, the lord has given us a prophetic word well several prophetic words about america and these words came to us in 19 8283 and uh, one of the things the Lord said is that I will speak English and I will write books in English because English is not my first language my first language is Afrikaans which is more like Dutch it's a language that we speak in South Africa and um, so all these prophetic words came to pass and I cannot tell you what happened in the last 13 14 years and what is about to happen what's happening behind the scenes it's very big, it's very explosive, it's all the book of Acts, it's very powerful. Um, and I'm not here to tell you stories, I, I'm here to visit this church and I believe that we have a divine appointment this week together. If God has a, per, a prophetic word for you this week, it'll happen in this place. We will not do drive-by prophecies or drive-by healings. Uh, this is the place of gathering this week, amen? So uh, I look forward to having you here. I love the spirit of the church. I enjoy the praise and worship. The atmosphere is right. Your pastor is a great man of God. I could sense that. And, uh, and uh, so we're going to have an awesome time. Now, uh, there's some great CDs and books out there. In fact, the book that I brought with me is basically sold out. So help yourself. I will say more about that tonight and tomorrow. But let us go right into the Word of God in Luke chapter 24. Thank you so much, sir. Luke chapter 24. Thank you, guys. In Luke chapter 24, we read about the resurrection of Jesus. How many of you realize that is crucial? You can have a great religion, but if, you're, if you don't have somebody that overcame death, your religion is worth nothing. Come on. Uh, and um, so here we have the resurrection of Jesus. And we find people run back and forth to the tomb in chapter 24, and we will pick up just now. And as they ran to the tomb, they came back with different reports. And one of the reports says that the body was stolen. Now, the devil would love that story to go into the world, that the body is stolen. So there's confusion in Jerusalem. 
because of the resurrection of Jesus, some thought that somebody just messed with the body. And then uh, we will find two men ultimately who will leave Jerusalem and they will walk to Emmaus. So when we, when we look at Jerusalem and Emmaus, we will find out that Jerusalem was the place where everything happened. And Emmaus was basically a bedroom community seven miles from Jerusalem where they head back to their home trying to hide uh, because they had a bad day at the office. You must understand that they expected Jesus will be resurrected and he was resurrected. But sometimes God can confuse you and you can lose, lose, uh, leave the office with a wrong impression, not knowing you're walking in a lie. And uh, so I'm going to talk about these two cities and I'm going to talk about a lot of verses in here. And I want to call this a greater revelation of who Jesus is. Because we live in a day where church has all become about the three keys to more money and the five steps to this and the four ideas to this and the six steps and the seven keys. Uh, the, the whole church is full of that. What the church really needs is not more keys and more steps. We need a revelation of who Jesus is. Because the gospel is not keys. The gospel is a person. And that person is Jesus. So I want to title this a greater revelation of who Jesus is. So in chapter 24, in the few, few, uh, first few verses, we find people running back and forth. And the Bible says in verse 9, And when they returned from the tomb, and they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now the eleven is the eleven apostles. It was Mary Magdalene, Johanna Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seems to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So they came back from the tomb, told it to the eleven apostles, and immediately the Bible says, it sounded to them like idle tales. Sounded to them like cannot be true. And today is Sunday in America, and today the gospel will be preached from many, many pulpits. And the one thing that you and I need to guard against is to allow this gospel to sound like another idle tale, just another story. Well, we've heard that story before, so I will listen, but I will not hear. So don't let this be just another idle tale, because the Holy Ghost has the ability to open up the scriptures. Smith Wigglesworth said, how many of you heard about Smith Wigglesworth, great man of God? He once said, some read their Bibles in Greek and some read their Bibles in Hebrew, but I read my Bible in the Holy Ghost. There's a big difference because the power is not in, in a language. The Greek does not give you the power of God. The Hebrew language, it can enlighten the word but unless you read the Bible in the Holy Ghost, you will never have a Bible that is alive. Because the Bible says the letter kill, but the Spirit brings life. So when we read it in the Holy Ghost, it's not an idle tale. It is a new story. It is fresh. It is now power. So the Bible says it sounded to them like idle tales, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb, verse 12, and he saw the linen cloths lying there by, by themselves, and he departed, marveling uh, to himself at what had happened. Now it says in verse 13, Behold, two men were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So that's the beginning of the story. Two men left Jerusalem, and they went to Emmaus, and we need to study out what happened with these two men. The Bible says they traveled and as they talked together of all the things which happened, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near to them or drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. So here we have two men walking to Emmaus 
Jesus joined them. The Bible says, but their eyes were restrained, and they did not know him. So now they depart on a seven-mile journey where they're going to talk with Jesus having no idea who he is. And that is a prophetic picture of your life and my life. So many times we are in the vehicle or in the car or in a restaurant or wherever we go, he joins us. He walks with us, talks with us. We have no idea he's in the car. We have no idea he's in this church. We just think this is just another religious moment where we do religious things, singing a few songs, drop money in the offering bag at the right time, say amen at the right place, go away, not healed, not delivered, no revelation of who Jesus is. So, it says there, but their eyes were restrained, and he, this is now Jesus, said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another, and you walk, and you are sad? Jesus found his church sad. That's the first thing Jesus said. What kind of conversation is this that you have and you talk and you are so sad? I'm telling you, church, there's a lot of people today in church meetings talking to Jesus, but they are sad. Come on. The first thing Jesus noticed they have no joy. And I hope that he does not find you without joy. I hope he does not say you are sad. There's many people, come on, in church, they're always sad. They're always depressed. They're always in a valley. So Jesus said, why are you so sad? Verse 18, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there these days? So now Mr. Cleopas take the microphone, and as they walked seven miles to Emmaus, he said to Jesus, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? You want to tell me you don't know what happened in Jerusalem? Come on, you stranger. If you have the information that we had, you will not ask us these dumb questions. You will not make statements like that. I mean, come on, stranger, what do you know anyhow? Because who are you and where do you come from, stranger? If you had known the scriptures, you would not have doubt why we are so sad. But I know that you are a stranger to these things because my name is Cleopas, and I know everything, and I have information about everything that was supposed to happen in Jerusalem. And if you want to know more about Pentecost and how the church should operate, you should ask me because my name is Cleopas and I'm the information booth. I collect information and I want to tell you you're a stranger and you should have known not to ask something like that or to make a statement like that. Now let me just tell you, every church has a Cleopas, somebody that knows everything, somebody that is very talkative, not knowing how little they really know. They just spill the beans all the time, and everybody know they don't know, but they think they do know. I'm talking about somebody in another church, not in this one, but it's, it's other churches I'm referring to. So he said these things to him in verse 19, and he said to them, now watch, this is Jesus. Everybody say, watch. This is Jesus. After Cleopas answered him, Jesus said, What things? That's all Jesus said. Come on. Sometimes you need to learn not to say too much. So Jesus just said, What things? Now, if you say what things to Cleopas, that's the wrong person. Because don't invite him to give you an explanation of the things. That's all Jesus said. You see, Jesus could have told them who he is. But Jesus decided, I'm going to walk with them, and I'm going to find out how little they really know. I'm going to walk with them and see how long will this take until they discover I'm in the car, I'm in the house, I'm sitting next to them in church, 
They think it's the pastor talking to them. They think it's the man of God talking to them. They think it's another Bible study. They think the guy who does the Bible study is good. They don't know it's me. I'm not going to tell them it's me. I want to see how blind they really are. Walking seven miles, calling him stranger. That's the last person you should all ever call stranger. I know you guys will not do things like that, but this happened in other churches. So he said to them, what things? And they said to him, they, it's now two. Now they both talk together. Now watch this. And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and the word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and all the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now they tell him the whole story because they know everything. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel indeed. Besides, all this today is the third day since these things happen. Third day, Mr. Stranger, if you only know what the third day is all about. I mean, we will not give you all the information about the third day, but if you had known what should have happened on the third day, you would not have made statements like this. But today is the third day. Today is the day that we expect that something is going to happen. Today is the day that we thought we were going to have a great move of God in Jerusalem. But he did not come out of the tomb. Today is the third day. And yes, a certain woman of our company, that's what men do. They always bring a woman into the story when they're confused. Blame it on the woman. And yes, a certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body... They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And a certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. Two more miles just completed. Information, 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 no revelation. Come on, church. That's a prophetic picture of the church today. Information, information. Seminar, seminar, seminar. Do another seminar. Seminar, how to worship the Lord. Seminar, how to praise God. Seminar, how to uh, uh, decorate the church. Seminar on this and a seminar on that and a seminar on that. It's the age of information with no revelation. It's no wonder the modern-day church call him stranger. Now watch this, verse 25. Finally, Jesus is going to say something again. Aren't you glad? Come on, aren't you glad Klupas had his best shot? Now that we got him out of the way, now we can do business. Now watch this. After they gave Jesus all the information, Jesus said something. He said in verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Two indictments against the church. Indictments? The first thing, one thing Jesus said was, you are slow. How many of you ever met somebody that is just slow? You want to be kind? You, you want to be nice? But you just broke a teeth because you bite on your teeth because they are slow. Come on, anybody that has worked with people that are slow and you feel that way, raise your hand and be honest. There's five of you. The, less, the rest of you probably never met slow people. Or maybe you are the slow ones. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how it works here, but I mean... I mean, I cannot really judge men, be judgmental. I mean, I know how other churches are. I don't know this church, so amen. Jesus said, you are slow. Why did he say slow? Because he thought they will now know who he is. That's the problem of the church. We think we are advanced. Yeah, we are advanced when it comes to, to, to modern-day technology. But we are not advanced when it comes to a revelation of who Jesus is. You can have a billion dollars in your bank account and still be slow. You can have all the smoke machines and all the lights and all the whatever and still be slow. Jesus said, you are slow 
But then Jesus said, foolish ones. Who? Strong language. Jesus said, you are foolish. It comes from the word fools. I will never say that to a church. I cannot say that to anybody, but I'm not Jesus. And Jesus is not religious. Jesus actually said to them, you are foolish. What does the word foolish mean in that verse? It means you suffer because of a lack of revelation knowledge. Wow. You suffer because you lack revelation knowledge. It doesn't say you suffer because you lack information. Come on. The word foolish doesn't mean that. The word foolish means you suffer because you lack revelation knowledge. You see, we don't suffer because we lack information, because we have a lot of information. But there's suffering in the church. Come on, Jesus said they are suffering in the church because the church lack revelation knowledge. If you had revelation knowledge of who Jesus is, you would have known that you don't need to be sick to be holy. You can be holy and righteous without being sick. Well, I want to be sick because God is teaching me a lesson. Really? Well, enjoy your pain. Suffer, fool, suffer. Come on. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you walk for seven miles, you are sad. Sadness leads to depression, oppression, possession. So when you're sad, you are depressed. So Jesus said, you walk in pain and you are fools to walk like that because I am the revelation. I walk next to you, but you choose to be sad. You choose to be sick. You choose to be depressed. When I am with you, you call me stranger when you could have known who I am, but you are blind. Enjoy your suffering. Suffer. Come on, church. When you have a revelation of who Jesus is, you start to walk in a joy and a freedom that is not religious. I've met religious people. They are always sad. Because the meeting never was exactly the way they wanted. We sang one song too much. We sang too many fast songs. There's always something wrong when you have a religious spirit. And then you're always sad because nothing goes according to your plan. I'm not talking about people in this church. I'm talking about people in other churches far away from here. That's why I can so talk about it. I didn't tell anybody where I'm coming because I don't want them to check on me. Because I want to talk about them. So I'm just here to give you a report on how bad it is out there. Somebody said, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Come on, say, I'm so glad. I belong to this church where we have revelation only. You sure? Come on. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, verse 27, he expounded to them in the scriptures concerning himself. So now Jesus gives them a Bible study about Jesus. Now he tells them in the scriptures where they can find him. (laughs) They didn't know it's Jesus telling them about Jesus. They just thought, it's this stranger. They haven't even asked him his name. They just said, this stranger is now telling us about Jesus, and they, he, he's quoting scriptures. Come on, isn't it sad when you go to a church meeting and you learn about Jesus not knowing it's actually Jesus teaching you about Jesus? You say, no, 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 we have a guy from South Africa, Andre Fonsell, he is the speaker. No, 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 you are dead wrong. I am not the speaker. It's the Holy Ghost through me that is the speaker. So it's God talking to you about God through me. I know some of you say you never knew God had this kind of accent. Yeah. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. 
But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards the evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. Wow. Each one of us should have a moment like that. The body of Christ should have a moment like that. Many, many Christians quote scriptures, but their eyes are blind. They walk seven miles with eyes. They walk seven miles with information in the eye of the the natural eye. So you can quote scriptures and you can know a lot of things about church, And still be blind. The moment Jesus gave them bread, the Bible says, then their eyes opened up. Which eyes? The eye of the Spirit. Church. We don't do church according to what other people do. You know, we live in a modern-day age in America. Everybody has a smoke machine lately, and everybody has the light this and the right that. And I love modern stuff. But there's a lot of churches today that is patterned according to how main thing church ought to be. In the meantime, there's a lot of people that does not have a revelation of who Jesus is. I came to the bottom line truth that Jesus needs to be a revelation to me. And if it's not a revelation to me, I walk in a religious mold. Sad. Come on. That's why Jesus said, why are you so sad? Now the Bible says, then their eyes opened up. And he vanished from this sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures? Powerful. I can minister on that verse for the whole day. Watch what they said. They said, Did not our hearts burn? Everybody say burn. Did not our hearts burn while he opened the scriptures? Watch what they do. They refer to their hearts burning. Yeah, but I don't like this thing about fire. And I don't want this thing about my heart is on fire. And I don't like the Holy Ghost thing. And I, and I don't want this thing about uh, the fire is on me. And I don't like my heart to burn. Come on. You see, church, religious preaching confused the mind. New Testament preaching burned the heart. And that's why we need to preach a gospel that will burn the heart. I'm not here to reason with you. Because the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he says, I did not come to you with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but I come to you in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And Paul realized that unless the demonstration of God's power is in the house, the world will not believe. So they said, our hearts burned. And then they said, he opened the scriptures. Now, the word Emmaus means hot springs. And the word Emmaus also means warm bath. And the people sat in the hot springs between Jerusalem and Emmaus. And when they sat in the water, they got healed. So when their hearts burn, they actually said, he just put us into a warm bath and our whole body is healed. Come on. The preaching of the gospel should burn the heart and then ultimately put the whole body, mind, soul, and spirit, baptize it in hot water. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Unless we preach the gospel that baptized the whole church in hot springs and put the whole church in the warm water of healing and deliverance and mighty signs and wonders, we have not preached the gospel. Jesus opened the scriptures. Everybody say open. Watch what they said. They said, while he opened the scriptures. 
So you can read scripture, but it's locked. Come on. And many times when I, I, in my younger days, when I will go to a place, I'm more confused coming out of the service than what I went in. Why? Because some people, I mean, you can have a major degree in, in theology and know Greek and Hebrew and still not heal the headache of a fly. Why? Power is not in information. Power is in revelation. Bible says he opened the scripture. So what they actually said is he unlocked the scripture. He took the lock off the scripture. And when he took the lock off the scripture, he opened the scriptures to us. Open scriptures, open Bible, revelation knowledge will burn your heart. Religious knowledge will confuse the mind. Amen? And they said, did not our hearts burn? when he opened the scriptures. Now watch this. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn? Verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They arrived in Emmaus, the valley of depression. They arrived in Emmaus, their home, their bedroom community. They want to shut the door. They want to lock the door. want to let their hair hang. But the moment they ate that piece of hot bread that Jesus gave them, they said, let's go back to Jerusalem. Seven miles information, seven miles back, Revelation. Seven miles sad, seven miles glad. Seven miles depressed, seven miles joyful. Come on. You see, when you do not have a revelation of who Jesus is, you can easily go for years in the wrong direction, not knowing you should never have left the city. Come on. There's a lot of things that you and I can do that we should never have done, but we've done it in a moment of depression, in a moment of being sad, in a moment of being confused. The Bible says they left Jerusalem because Jerusalem was confused. When somebody said the body was stolen, the body was not stolen. But you see, the devil is the master of confusion. Now they go back. All of a sudden, they have strength back. It's the hot bread. When God rained bread in the Old Testament to two million Jews, some criticize the bread. Some say it's light bread. It's not important bread. David called the manna in the Old Testament, when David wrote about the manna, he called it angel's food. The Bible says those who ate the bread, there were no feeble amongst them. So when they ate the hot bread, the one brother said to the other brother, Hey, let's go back to Jerusalem. Man, I feel I just ate something that has just came into my body. My bones feel better. My flesh feel better. My mind feel better. My system feel better. I'm going to live longer. Let us all back to Jerusalem. One piece of hot bread will take you back to your city of confusion. One piece of hot bread will take you back to the place where you had a defeat yesterday. Come on. So now they went back to Jerusalem. Powerful. Their hearts burned. They ate bread. Jesus disappeared. Now Jesus went with a different road. He went back to Jerusalem as well. Amazing that Jesus spent seven miles with them and saw how confused they were. But the moment Jesus gave them the hot bread, Jesus realized, now I cannot stop them again. Well, I want to resign, Pastor, and, I, and I'm, I, I want to give up because, you know, I, I just don't feel like I can go on. And I, I feel so miserable, and, and, and I'm so depressed, and I, I'm just suicidal. And, uh, you need bread. You need hot bread. You need a revelation of what Jesus is. If you get a revelation of who Jesus is, we will have a hard time to catch up with you. Come on. You're a fool to feel like that. Don't feel like that. Don't be a fool. Don't suffer. Don't have lack. Don't live in a deficit. 
God says, you are foolish. That's what Jesus said. You are fools to walk for seven miles like this when you could have walked seven miles in joy. Come on. Hallelujah. How much time do I have? It's still early. Watch this. You must understand, church, Satan is the mastermind of confusion. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought, I've got him. He's dead. Now I'm in control. But on the second day, Jesus showed up in hell. And when Jesus showed up in hell, he said to Satan, Satan, I've got three days. This is day number two. Tomorrow, Satan, I'm going to come out of that tomb. Satan, before they build a monument for me, I'll be back. You see, church, we build monuments for great leaders. Do you know that there's no monument for Jesus? Do you know that there will never be a monument for Jesus? Because he's not dead for too long. Before they could get an architect to design a plan to build him a monument, he came out of the tomb. But he said to Satan, Satan, this is the second day. I want the keys of hell. I want the keys of sickness. I want the keys of diseases. I want the keys. I want to come on. I, I want my keys. I want my keys. So when Satan had to give God the keys, come on, the keys of sickness and diseases, Tuesday morning, this Tuesday morning, I will drive an hour and a half to a city called Beckley. There's a great church there where I minister for years. There's a man who has cancer. He has had three, three treatments now of, 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 for cancer. And I want you to pray with me that Tuesday morning, 12 o'clock, when I'm going to lay my hands on him and I'm going to give him a piece of bread, I want him to eat that piece of bread Tuesday morning, 12 o'clock, and God is going to heal that man from blood cancer. Come on, somebody. There's bread in heaven for cancer. There's bread in heaven for diseases. There's bread in heaven for curses. There's bread in heaven for your children. There's bread in heaven for your family. There's bread in heaven for America. There's bread in heaven for this nation. So the moment Satan gave Jesus the keys, I think he texted all the demons in Jerusalem on his blackberry, and he said to them, Confuse the church. Basically, he texted the demons. It's very private, but I got some insight into what he said to the demons. Do you want to know what it is? I've got inside information. He texted the demons in Jerusalem and he said, Confuse the church. That is our only hope. I just lost the keys. Tomorrow morning, he's going to come out of the tomb. I know it. But the only hope we have is go to the 11 apostles of the church and confuse them. Confuse the leadership of the church. Confuse them. Let them have all kinds of churches. Let them have confusion amongst them. That's the only hope we have. And because of that text message in the spirit, two men walked seven miles to a valley of depression. Two men walked seven miles in the wrong direction. And I want to prophesy, there's a lot of leaders in America, there's a lot of Christians in America that has gone the wrong way, that has gone the wrong way, that has gone the wrong way. But somebody, somebody is going to eat hot bread and that somebody is coming back to Jerusalem and the message to Jerusalem is Jesus is is alive. Can you imagine when Satan watched the two men walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus? Satan must have said, We have confused the church. 
They are sad. They are depressed. And they don't know, even know who Jesus is. I can just see Satan text the demons again and said, you will not believe me. What they call Jesus, they call him a stranger. Text the church, text these demons and said, you will not believe me. They know the whole story and they don't even know they're walking with Jesus for seven miles. For seven miles! For seven miles! Satan knew who Jesus was. Satan had a greater revelation than the two men from Emmaus for seven miles. And that is a prophetic picture of America at the moment. But God is saying, I will feed my people hot bread. You must understand, church, we must see what happens behind the scene. What happens behind the scene of this meeting? Behind the scene of this meeting, Satan hates me. He hears what I said. He knows what I'm preaching. He knows this thing burns the heart of the people. And then, late that night, two men left Emmaus, walking back to Jerusalem. And when Satan saw that, Satan realized, where did they get the strength from? They're going to do 14 miles in one day. What happened? I had them. They were confused. They were suffering. They were in pain. They were sad. They were depressed. I'm going to make them so oppressed that I will demon-possess them, and then they will kill themselves. But the next moment, the same two men that were sad, depressed, went back, and Satan realized, who mesmerized with my plan? And then Satan realized, Jesus gave them hot bread in their house. I have lost the battle. Come on, church. It is ordinary people in ordinary homes, driving ordinary cars, living ordinary lives that can eat hot bread in a meeting like this that will go out of this meeting and that will go back to Jerusalem and say, the victory is ours. Our joy has been restored. burn when he opened the scriptures. You see, church, when your heart burn and you eat one piece of hot bread, you don't really need my hand on you. You don't need a prophetic word from me. By the time I'm trying to get to you, they will say to me, he just left. He couldn't wait. Something is burning him. Pastor, you are too late to pray for him. He's so on fire for God. He left. He's on a new mission. I don't know what happened with my husband. He's on fire. I don't know what happened with my wife. That spirit of depression is gone. Come on. Can I get some keyboards? Run, brother. How many of you realize, apart from all the lights and all the colors, it's so beautiful. The decor, everything is beautiful. I love it. But there's something more than just being high-tech, modern, right carpets. This book is dead. Many years ago, a theologian called me. Theologian. Well-known man. He said, Andre, I need to come and see you. I couldn't believe he called me. I thought I did something wrong. I said, I want to see you. 
I said, sir, what, what is the purpose of this visit? I was kind of, I thought something, we are not friends. I've never spoke with him for five minutes. Now he want to call me and he want to talk with me. And he said to me, I want to come and sit with you. And I want to see how you read your Bible. I said, well, I don't use reading glasses. What are you talking about? Now I have reading glasses. He said to me, sir, when you read the Bible, you say things from the scriptures that I don't get. You see things in the scriptures that I don't see. I want to come to you and I want to see how you do this. How do you prepare your sermons? I said, sir, I don't prepare sermons. I said, I just read it. And then it struck me. I said to him, sir, Greek will not do it for you. Hebrew will not do it for you. But listen to what Smith Wigglesworth said. If you read your Bible in the Holy Ghost, it'll tell you and show you what the Greek and the Hebrew cannot even reveal to you. What am I saying to you? Let's not suffer any longer. This is not a church that's going to walk in suffering. This is not a church that's going to walk in sadness. This is a church that says, we will sit in hot springs. We will sit in a warm bath. We will be baptized, soul, body, and spirit, even our bones. Come on. Listen to this. When God rained manna, what did they do with the manna? Some of them picked up the manna, crushed the manna, and they reformed the manna into their own mold. They made cakes out of it. And that's what the modern day church is good at. We take the word, we crush the word, we bake it into our ovens of tradition, into our, come on, Baptist oven, Roman Catholic oven, Presbyterian oven, Assemblies of God oven, Church of God oven. And when somebody preaches it, I say, oh, I know where you come from. Oh, I can, I, I know where you come from. I know exactly where you come from. I know where you come from. How do you know? Well, it's obvious where you went to school. God help us. That we will not take the bread and make it in a cookie cutter format so that it'll fit the ears of our flow. It's time. Somebody say it's time to preach New Testament preaching that'll simply Burn the heart. Hallelujah. 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 I know there's not many of my kind left. I know there's not many of my type left, but who cares? You say, but Brother Andre, aren't you afraid that you will not get your program booked? My program is not about a program. God sent me here. I could hardly speak English. And he anointed me to do things I've never thought in my whole life I can ever do. I'm speaking you in a language that was prophesied to me that I will speak this language. I will even write books in this language. Could not believe it. My English teacher will probably turn around in her tomb if she heard that I wrote a book in English. But who cares? Hope she's in heaven. She will have a big surprise when I show up. You wrote books? Yes, ma'am. I don't know what happened. I ate hot bread. And when I ate that piece of hot bread, it changed my mind. It changed my tongue. It changed my eyes. It changed my hand. It changed my language. It, con- it transformed my whole body. Come on. My mother was a prophetess. I was dying when I was five years old. I was born premature in the age of seven months in the womb. I was born premature. My lungs fell flat. I had six months to live. They gave me six months to live. And then the doctor said to my mother that if this boy lives six months, he will be completely blind. I was busy losing my eyes. My eyes was completely skewy. I had asthma to the point that I was, I was dying. 
And the, my mother said to the doctor one day, she says, it is a fact that he is sick. It is a fact that he's going blind. It is a fact, this and it's a fact that. It's a fact that he was born seven months, uh, uh, premature on seven months. And then she said to the doctor, but doctor, this is what the Lord said when I heard the news that I'm pregnant with a boy. And the Lord said, one day this boy will go to the nations and he will preach the gospel in different nations. I'm almost 62 years old. I'm 57 years on the other side of my deathbed. What am I saying to you? When you have a mother who knows what hot breath can do, it'll affect you 57 years on the other side of your tomb. Come on! Hot breath will send you on fire. Hot breath will send you 57 years into the future. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. And you're not going to die. It's not a time to resign. It's a time to live. Jesus is alive and so should you be. Give God praise. I want to guard against something. I've done thousands of meetings. I can cut this meeting close to a close, bring it to a close. And you will walk out of the door and you will say, Wow, we had a great service. I hope we can do it again tonight. The moment you say that, you are so wrong. I haven't done anything. It's not what I can do. But if you leave this place this morning and you say, something happened with me when I heard that word. My soul swallowed it up. And the moment I swallowed it, I felt fire burns my heart. And when you leave that door, you will say, I don't need him to prophesy to me. I don't need him to lay his hands on me. I cannot wait. My Jerusalem needs me. You see, we all have a Jerusalem, and we all have an Emmaus. We all have a Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your finances. Jerusalem is your children. Jerusalem is that place where you had a bad day. Jerusalem is that place where everything went wrong in your life. God says, go back to your Jerusalem this morning and say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I made a mistake by leaving you, but I'm back to tell you, Jesus is alive. Come on, get in place. Stand on your feet. Can we do radical worship? Can I get the praise team back here? Come on, let's do radical worship, church. Hot bread. No more depression. No more sadness. Joyful. Say it loud and clear. Say, I am back. Say, I am back. Whoa, 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 whoa. Cut, 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 cut. You're not in a Church of God meeting now. You're in a stadium with 100,000 remnant people. Come on. One of the words I use a lot is remnant. Say, I am back. On my way to my Jerusalem. I've got a word. I've got a revelation. Jesus is alive. Now, I want you to shout, Jesus is alive. No, that's wrong. Say, Jesus is alive. Say hallelujah. Come on.
want us to do something before we go further. Put your one hand on your heart. Come on, give me some strings or... Put your hand on your heart. Say, Lord, burn my heart again. Say it again. Say, Lord, burn my heart again. Put your one hand on your one eye. Look at me with the other one. Say, Lord, open my eyes that I might get a revelation of who Jesus is. Church, one thing I want to guard against. I'm not here to do four services to keep us busy. I'm not here to do four services to keep myself busy. I'll be in a conference from Wednesday to Friday. I have three more flights this week. I'm going to pray for that man Tuesday morning. I've got a lot of work. I, I cannot do meetings for the sake of meetings. If that is what's going to happen, I'm the first one out. We must get a shift this week. Something must shift. And I want you to realize, although I have not laid hands on anybody this morning, the hands of the Holy Spirit is already upon you. In Africa, when you preach for 100,000 people, you cannot lay hands on everybody. But the most phenomenal miracles happen. Why? Because they realize the man is throwing hot bread at us. And we just need to grab it. And when they grab it, all of a sudden the whole body changes. And they come out completely healed. And I want to say to you, make sure that when you come back tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday night, we will pray for people. If I can get what I want to do, I will pray for many people. And if prophetic ministry flow out of that, that's good. Sometimes I prophesy a lot. Sometimes I prophesy less. It's not about me. What I can do is about Him. But church, promise me one thing. You will hear what the Spirit is saying. And don't walk another seven miles, sad. Don't do another thing for another day. Again, remember what the Lord said. You are fools if you suffer because you are only a fool that suffer when you don't know who I am. That's what Jesus actually said. If you had known who I am, you would not have had one mile being sad. Close your eyes and pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord, Jesus, walk with me. Burn my heart. And let this be the beginning of a new season of joy, passion, revelation. And my Jerusalem will no longer be confused. In Jesus' name, amen. Two men broke the confusion over Jerusalem. And Peter and the disciples preached the gospel. Jesus is alive. Will you give God some radical praise? Come on, give him something good.